Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. God gave me a Ferrari because I am a Ferrari. You're a Ferrari too. When God made you, he had all the options put on. You are fully loaded and totally equipped. So do this with me. Where did we ever come up with the style of preaching we have today? There is some entertaining preaching, but not convicting preaching, and the legacy has been tragic. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. I was being sarcastic, which is another big word you'll learn in school. What's the word on the street? This is Wretched Radio. (laughs) Speaking of sarcastic, well, not that we ever are that here. It was at the gym. You probably noticed there was a fellow wearing a T-shirt that had the loading logo that you see on your computer when you have to wait. Oh, seconds to get information from around the globe. And the shirt then surrounding the little logo said, sarcastic comment loading. Please wait. I can identify. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to wait long here. <laughs> Today's word du jour, which is also the word of the day. Sounds delicious. I think I'll have that. Is euphemism. That's right. Euphemism. It's exchanging one term for another in an effort not to hurt somebody's feelings. So you don't get fired. You get let go. There aren't cuts. You downsize. We put down our dog, not euthanize, and so on and so on. But today's special euphemistic word is mental health. That's right, mental health. I do not know what got into the New York Times, but they ran a series of articles on the subject of mental health, which is a massive subject these days because poll after poll, statistic after statistic, People are hurting. They are struggling. And several articles were actually a wee bit critical of secular DSM-5 mental health solutions. Not the least of which was this particular article on euphemisms, specifically mental health. The term mental health is a euphemism. And euphemisms are what we use when we want to obscure something. This language, in contrast to mental illness, encourages us to focus on the maintenance of something we supposedly all have. See, we all have mental health issues, right? But the word health means healthy. The word sick means sick. But we call an emotional struggle, a mental difficulty, mental health, which means this helps absolutely Nobody, it was supposed to address stigma because we didn't want people to feel bad that they perhaps processed things differently, but um, it moved our attention away from the people who actually need it. If we're not willing to say, hey, that person is sick physically, are we going to seek a physical solution? No, because they're having physical health. Now, If you have a health issue, that's a little bit different. But mental health is just extremely vague. From the article in the New York Times, ordinarily the word health implies an absence of illness. No longer does that apply. The term mental health has nothing to do with an absence of illness. The idea of mental illness or mental disorder, now these terms are not used these days, has come to be supplanted by a broader umbrella notion, mental 
health, which confusingly gets used to refer to states of both wellness and distress. Huh. You've heard the slogan, we all have mental health. That seems nice, but on closer examination, it manages a double exclusion. It fails to actually name any mental health problems. Well, we're supposed to be raising awareness on it, and it makes a claim that is untrue. There are many people that do not have mental health. Well, we've all got struggles. This is, again, I got to tell you, if you are persuaded the Bible is the book that best describes reality and helps us navigate our way through it, this is another example How long have we been at the mental health business game? Well, this this goes back to our psychologized society going ease probably into the 1800s where we started focusing in a romantic way, not romantic. Did that sound romantic? That just just like I've got some sort of issue here. (laughs) Not that kind of romantic, but romantic in that it is a focus on self. And that psychology then walks hand in glove with the concept of self. It's all focusing on you, 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 not the greater good, not familial commitments, no, you. And so our psychologized society has been hacking away at this now for well over 100 years. And how are they doing with that? How successful are they in curing anybody? In fact, I would suggest to you uh, there probably are very few cures in mental health these days. From the article, we have reached peak mental health. It continues, the change in language, uh, supposedly addressing stigma, doesn't. Or to alleviate stigma, doesn't, because it implies we've all got issues. When mental health is given as a principal motivator for our choices, we are prioritizing our own experiences. Of course, there is less room for moral or ethical considerations for our behavior and less room for motivations that have to do with social community or familial commitments or doing something for its own sake, just doing it. Mental health is all about the individual finding a place where I am happiest. Now, obviously, that's a problem because if your version of what makes you happy isn't in alignment with reality, you are in really big trouble. Not an endorsement, but C.S. Lewis, he talked about the Tao. Not not endorsing Buddhism or Hinduism, or Taoism, but he used that term just so that it could be more universally accepted, probably because it wasn't a Christian term. Basically, natural law. How do things work? What is the order of rightness and wrongness, values? What are the systems that are better for us than other ideals? And he called it the Tao just the way things ought to be. And in America, for a long, long time, that was basically Christianity. It helped us to understand not only that God exists, but who that God is, but it teaches us the importance of family, loving our neighbors. This behavior, it's better than that behavior. Teaching children that genders are fluid, no, 
That wouldn't be accepted in Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, Christianity. In other words, the our Tao is off these days. And that's a shame because the Bible is the book that teaches us that we don't do everything for ourselves. Yeah, we do some stuff, otherwise we die. But we are to be about the business of others. Think of Philippians chapter 2, that we are to be humble like our Savior was humble. And by the way, not that this will probably do any good, but to the folks who saw our monarchy video comparing and contrasting the death and burial of the Queen of England to Jesus, it was not a critique against the Queen. It was to show Jesus he should have had the royal state treatment when he died. His funeral procession should have made the queens look like a pauper's burial. Instead, that's what he chose. A pauper's burial, dying ignominiously on a cross. Why? Because our God is humble. Jesus is meek which is not sissiness. I'm not sure that's a word, but it is now. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to be sissified. It means that we're supposed to have power under control. Just listen to a podcast from Kosti Hinn. He's getting really good. He's very pastoral. I hear his church is thriving. I think he's in Arizona. Sorry if I've got that wrong. But he was talking about the subject of meekness, what it is and what it isn't. And that there is a need for meekness, but that doesn't mean an absence of strength. It means strength that is bridled. You got it under control. You're not Johnny Six Shooter. You don't have to blah about everything. And you don't have to be a bully. And and I thought he did a bang-up job of addressing what I think we could fairly say is a trend in evangelical Christianity these days, a bit of a bravado sort of Christian maleness. It's almost flying in the face of what the world would call toxic masculinity. And he taught about that without ever calling anybody out. Hmm, how rare is that? That he actually just taught. And there were perhaps people you would think about when listening to it, but he wasn't gunning for people. There is a way to exercise discernment, and it's not by just judging somebody what you believe to have substandard theology or bad thinking. You can just teach on the subject, and he did. And I thought it was excellent teaching on the subject of meekness, which we could all use a little bit more of these days, mental health, seeking to help people by getting rid of God, ignoring the Bible, not believing in the Tao, if you will, still makes me a little mm, to say that. Instead, mental health is yet another secular humanist fruit that I'm afraid is kind of what? This is Wretched Radio. Hey, isn't this groovy? Dozens of crisis pregnancy centers have been vandalized or set on fire because of the Roe v. Wade decision. A preborn center in Buffalo was firebombed. A preborn clinic in Gresham, Oregon was hit with an 
incendiary device, a preborn clinic in Miami, vandalized, and they're receiving bomb threats. In other words, the battle for life is becoming a battle for life. And yet, the preborn centers continue to open. Support organizations like preborn and like your local pregnancy clinic that are unwaveringly and without fear opening again today offering free, loving, Christ-centered alternatives to these young women. Be part of the solution. Please join the literal battle for life. Preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. In November 2020, Tim Challies and his wife Aileen received the phone call every parent dreads. Their 20-year-old son Nick, while away at seminary, collapsed and died. As Tim and his wife traveled to Louisville, Tim began to do the only thing he knew to do to process his loss. He began to write. And now all of his writings, some of which have been shared publicly, some not until now for the first time, have all been compiled into his latest book, Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God. Seasons of Sorrow is a book for anyone that is loved and lost. It benefits those that are working through sorrow or those that are comforting others. You'll not only see how God is sovereign over loss, but how good he is in those moments. You'll discover how to pass through times of grief while keeping your faith, and you'll learn biblical doctrine can work itself out even in life's most difficult situations. Seasons of Sorrow, available now in the Wretched Store at wretched.org. Hmm, something is happening in the Philippines. Wait, I know what it is. Jesus is building his church. Please meet Pastor Kitu Espiritu from the Master's Academy International in the Philippines. Your support allows us to fill pulpits and transform lives. Pastors are being equipped to rightly divide the truth. People in the Philippines are hearing the truth rightly preached and coming to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus is on the march in the Philippines. Souls are being saved, churches are being built, and yet there are too many empty pulpits. And that is where you come in. Would you please consider filling an empty pulpit in the Philippines so that people can hear the word rightly divided? The Master's Academy International training pastors to do just that in the Philippines and 17 other nations. To learn more, please visit wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Books of the Bible Philemon was a Christian and fellow worker with Paul. His slave named Onesimus had stolen from him and run away. By God's providence, Onesimus met Paul and became a Christian. Paul sent Onesimus back with this letter, urging Philemon to forgive Onesimus and treat him as a brother in Christ. This letter is a grand example of the gospel in action. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Of course, mental health is political. What isn't these days? This is Wretched Radio. You may recall Carl Truman's book, Strangers in a Strange Land. A strange thing happened on the way to the forum. What is the name of that book? <laughs> strange New World. That's the one right there. Carl Truman giving us a little tour of philosophical history. And one of the highlights amongst, amongst many was that everything is politicized. And that's by design. Everything needs to be connected to government. That we don't seek solutions, certainly from God. We can't even trust one another. Everything's got to go through government. 
And that's a really wonderful way for a system to control a whole lot of people. So this New York Times article that was titled Mental Health is Political was perhaps meant to be shocking, but everything is these days. The gender issues, the sexuality issues, the racial issues, everything is politicized. This was a particularly interesting article because it does show that politics, certainly limited in this regard, can have an impact on human flourishing. And we should be aware of that because there are some Christians who dedicate their lives to the political realm. And because that realm is not in and of itself sinful, unless, of course, they are sworn to sign on to unethical ideals, they can go into that profession and they can serve because it does have an effect. And I think this article kind of brings it out. There was another article in the New York Times. Is America really in a mental health crisis? And this particular paragraph jumped out. When talking about trauma and how trauma is the cause of so much of the anxiety that we see these days, that it's not a serotonin issue, that it's not a mental health deficiency, that trauma actually impacts us. And some people struggle more than others to deal with trauma. There are some people, they are Teflon. They don't wear Teflon. They are Teflon. Everything just bing, bing, bing. Other people, everything is so personal. One isn't more sinful than the other. There's, they're, they're not less sinful than the It's just the way that some people are made. From the article, solving the mental health crisis will require fighting for people to have secure access to infrastructure that buffers them from chronic stress, housing, food security, education, job security. Why does this particular author point that out? It is because there is much in the world that is God's squeeze. It's his 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 putting his hands, powerful hands around us, and just giving us a little squeeze through things like stress, pressure, difficulties, sometimes pain and suffering. Why? Because he wants those mechanisms to reveal what is going on in there. And so when we are under stress, when anxiety comes out, it's because anxiety is in there, which means you now have the opportunity to get busy, to get on it. This might find you today. You have a choice in how you're going to respond to stress. You have a choice in how you're going to respond to coworkers, family, especially those really annoying family members, your spouse, your kids, whatever the dynamic is, whatever the relationship is, you have a choice. You may be inclined to think because your wife is such a shrew, you married the wrong woman. Or, madam, you think your husband is such a lazy jerk and so selfish. I don't think I married the right guy. Well, you did. You married the right person. Otherwise, you wouldn't be married to that person. But you are married to that person. So that is exactly what God has ordained for you. Now, the only question is, how are you going to respond to it? Here's my natural inclination. It is to fix the problem, which isn't me. It's you. So I want to fix you. And that is simply not the way that God prescribes our response 
commitment to difficult people. We are to love them because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That is the most fascinating, okay, maybe not the most, but it is one of the most fascinating statements. James said the anger of God does not produce, the anger of man rather, does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, when we're not angry, it does produce righteousness. How does that work exactly? Let's just say, and this really isn't hard to imagine, Jimmy does something really annoying again. Yep. Now, how am I, I could get angry at him and vent, you know, get it off my chest. Euphemisms for sinning in my anger. Or by stifling it, Edith, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to start producing fruits of righteousness. I'm actually going to become more righteous the less angry I am. You're not married to the wrong person. The only question is, not did I marry the right guy or gal, but how am I going to let God's squeeze affect me? Am I going to let it form a root of bitterness, which I think it was Jerry Bridges who said bitterness comes from not recognizing, acknowledging, and believing in the sovereignty of God that he's in control of all things. Because if God is in control of all things and God is good and he is both of those things, then you don't need to be in a panic about your situation. It is well with your soul because God is in control and he's ordaining everything for you, including that rotten spouse. How are you going to react? Those terrible kids, my prodigal child, mm, my sibling. Well, it can form a root of bitterness in you or it can produce righteousness by not getting angry, but by loving them. By, by, by instead of just speaking my mind, I speak words of edification. And it will change you. Back to uh, the New York Times. This article is called Mental Health is Political. The author writes, a coalition of 18 prominent mental health scholars wrote in a 2020 paper in The Lancet, Predictions of a tsunami of mental health problems as a consequence of COVID and the lockdown are overstated. Feelings of anxiety and sadness are entirely normal reactions to difficult circumstances, not symptoms of poor mental health. Hey, if you'd read your Bible, you would have come to that conclusion and you probably wouldn't have had to spend that much money. Bibles are expensive, but it ain't a big study of 18 prominent mental health scholars writing for a paper in the Lancet, they're recognizing, just like we see in the Psalms, the psalmist is experiencing difficulty. And what do we see? He's troubled. He's disturbed. That's normal. The only question is, how will I exhibit my feelings about my circumstances? That's, that's the choice that confronts all of us. This may or may not be a helpful Christian life hack, but something hard happens. Stop. All right, Lord, you are good. You are sovereign. You have ordained this for me because you care about me. Now, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You can choose to run to your Savior for comfort, or you can run away from him and take matters into your own heart and hands. By complaining, belly aching, 
feeling really bluer and blue and blue and bluer, or you can run to your Savior who gets it. He knows pain. Believe me, he knows abandonment. He knows crummy treatment. <laughs> he had the worst of the worst. He sympathizes with you. He gets you. These 18 prominent mental health scholars would have done well to read their Bible. Sometimes, Anxiety and sadness are entirely normal reactions to difficult circumstances, not symptoms of poor mental health. So how does secular psychology attack that beast? Well, they say we have to fix those externals. And while that is certainly not out of you for the Christian, it is not the biblical approach. God wants to address the internals because it's the external that is the vice that squeezes and reveals what is inside of you. And you can let it do its work on you, this perseverance that will be developed, this sanctification that will take place. That's the promise of suffering, isn't it? That it develops in you. Back to the article. This doesn't mean that all psychiatric symptoms are caused by stress, but it does mean that the whole lot of them almost certainly are. Well, 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 anybody else thinking about biblical counseling right now? Anybody else thinking, hmm, is there someone who's wrote some sort of a manual that doesn't change every few years like the Diagnostic Statistical Manual? Yeah, it's called the Bible. And it it reads you while you're reading it. And when it is applied rightly to you, it might help you deal with externals in fixing them running a more orderly household, behaving better in the marketplace. That, that, that stuff is there, but more than that, changes you. It grows you. It encourages you to be more like Jesus Christ than you currently are. Suffering from anxiety or stress, the question for you is, what are you going to let it do for you? This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Cubans on Sunday voted to approve a new family code that, among other things, legalizes same-sex marriage and adoption in the country. Millions of Cubans voted in the referendum. Obviously, a lot of questions come out of a story like this. A fair election in a communist country? Why there's election during the country's worst economic crisis in 30 years with shortages of food, gas, and medicine? And of course, the biggest question, or at least the biggest question I have, who has elections on Sunday? Florida Governor Ron DeSantis last week announced a series of legislative agenda items to rein in the influence of the Chinese Communist Party. The move comes as Chinese investors have become America's largest foreign group of real estate buyers over the past decade, raising serious national security concerns. Governor DeSantis made the announcement in which he explicitly named the CCP as a foreign adversary. In addition to preventing the Chinese government from buying up agricultural land and property near military bases, DeSantis said he would also urge congressmen to draft legislation that would protect Floridians' personal data from being captured by foreign-based tech companies. Talk about legislation that actually protects his constituents. Has anyone heard if this guy was running for president? Oh, good news if you can't wait for the Christmas movie season on Hallmark. The Hallmark Channel will, quote, break new ground this Christmas season with its very first ever movie featuring a same-sex storyline. What a wonderful way to celebrate the holidays. 
Hundreds of Christians marched in Washington, D.C. over the weekend to raise awareness for the persecuted church worldwide. The third annual March for the Martyrs was held at the National Mall on Saturday. According to the March of the Martyrs website, the group describes itself as a diversive movement consisting of Christians of all ages, from all backgrounds, and from all over the U.S. with the message that Christian persecution will no longer be ignored. Persecuted believers are not forgotten, and Jesus Christ still has the victory. And that's a message we can all get behind. As we tell you frequently here at Wretched, please make sure that you continue praying for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters all over the world. And I'm sure you've heard the news about Vanderbilt in Tennessee. And now, as a result of that, Tennessee lawmakers are revisiting the possibility of legislation which would crack down on child gender transitions. The governor and state lawmakers said last week that they are discussing legislative solutions after the video footage was released of a doctor from Vanderbilt saying certain transgender surgeries were, quote, huge moneymakers, and a health law expert saying conscientious objections to the surgeries are, quote, problematic. TikTok is facing a pretty big fine, 27 million pounds to be exact, which is 28.8 million US dollars from a UK data watchdog group over a failure to protect children's privacy. Well, how incredibly newsworthy is that? TikTok failing to protect children's privacy? Get out of town. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Titles of Christ In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who He is and what He has done. Jesus is called the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means a wrath-removing sacrifice. Jesus bore God's wrath on our behalf, and in return, we receive His righteous standing before God the Father. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Don't be surprised. This is Wretched Radio. Kevin DeYoung. Jimmy, do you know how old Kevin DeYoung is, the Presbyterian pastor who's whip smart? Uh, young. He, I, you, that's what, he's 45. Really? He's just got one of those puppy faces. He looks like <laughs> Mike Riccardi, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Kevin DeYoung, a young, smart Presbyterian fellow, writing an article titled, From Silence to Complexification to Capitulation. Hoofed up, but here's the subtitle. Why evangelical surrender on LGB, etc. is almost never a surprise. Ooh, you mean we're going to see more and more of it? Jimmy, I think over the weekend that church in Texas had their drag show for children Mm. at the church. (laughs) Expect to see more and more of it. And you are going to recognize the pattern that whippersnapper Kevin DeYoung identifies because he takes a look at the playbook that is run in order to go about the business of doing what man has been attempting to do since the beginning of time. Kick God off of his throne and put self there. And frankly, we are doing a bang up job of it these days because self is everything, and there is a playbook that is being used to deconstruct, decolonize, or colonialize, to get rid of anything that is traditional, because anything that is traditional is white and male, and we know that all those people do is oppress others. And the effort to deconstruct our society, it's being run meticulously. See if this playbook described by Kevin DeYoung is accurate. He writes, rarely do evangelical leaders and institutions leap 
all at once from the open celebration and defense of orthodoxy to the open celebration and defense of heterodoxy. In fact, when evangelical capitulation on LG, etc. issues makes the news, it is rarely a surprise. There are almost always a series of familiar steps. Step number one. Shh. Silence. Don't say anything. Stay out of the fray. It's a publication. It's an institution. It's an evangelical leader. Used to be really clear on matters of sexuality and marriage. Just doesn't seem to find the time to talk about those subjects anymore. Doesn't matter what controversy explodes. Nothing is said. It's as if the sexual revolution ceased to exist. But that's only step number one. Step number two. Complexification. Jimmy, turn to the person next to you and slap them and say (laughs) complexification. If you can. He writes, even though the church around the globe for virtually two millennia had no trouble coming to settled and universal convictions about these issues, now questions about sexuality, differentiation become hopelessly complicated. It's just we need multidisciplinary expertise so that we can come to a humble conclusion. And that humble conclusion is always unsure of any conclusion. Don't you see that in the denominations? It Hey, we're not going to talk about the we don't want to be divisive. We just want feeding programs, whatever it is. But they move from silence then into studying the issue. Let's just get together and talk about the issue. By the way, Jimmy, they're still talking about the Saddleback ordaining women issue. <laughs> they, they kicked a couple of churches out. I saw that. Yeah, that, that they got handled over the weekend. Right. But it's just too complex dealing with this women's issue in ministry. And didn't <laughs> we see that, by the way, at the SBC convention? Let's do a study on it. That's when Al Mulder said, nope, not necessary. We all know what the word pastor means. Don't try your word game. Step three, there is usually an explicit pivot to other issues. So talk about other stuff, racial justice, poverty, missions, evangelism. This is somebody who is on the road to capitulation. They just talk about other stuff so that they don't have to talk about the issue that they are starting to grow wobbly on. In the next stage, we see more frustration with those pointing out the sin than with those committing the sin. Aha, we've seen that before, haven't we? These these people who talk about judging those people that that are, are having very depraved lifestyles. Shame on them. What's going on? Answer, capitulation is going on, and they just don't want to deal with it. This is often the telltale sign that a change in views has already taken place. The leader may still boast that he or she is conservative, but it's only the conservatives that are bothersome anymore. I just saw, for instance, Beth Moore. She's speaking with Jamar Tisby. Now, he's, he's as socially just as woke as anybody. And Beth Moore is doing a conference with him. And yet, she'll tell you she's conservative. 
interesting. At the same time, the arguments become intensely personal and privatized. This is another step along the path of capitulation. The public debate at this point isn't really about scripture or the Christian tradition. The discussion is focused on friends, people we know that we've talked to, we've heard their stories. We often hear of how traumatized to the point of possible self-harm people are in our midst and how the Orthodox position and Orthodox churches are to blame. I was just reading an article on the trans issue, and it was a young woman who testified there's a piece of legislation in California that's up for grabs that basically will allow people, kids, from other states to come there to get mutilated. And he was... Uh, he was a she, but she was a he, whatever. Oh, no, it was a she. She was a she. <laughs> what a world we live in. She was a she, and at the age of 15, they performed a double mastectomy. Gulp. How much more barbaric can we get? Not sure. And she was basically saying, why did adults do this to me? I was 15 years old. I shouldn't be making decisions like that. I, I, I shouldn't be allowed to do that. And if you pass this legislation, then I'm just the canary in the coal mine. And there are going to be many, many more. And we're starting to see them, by the way. People coming out and saying, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. I did read an interesting article about the subject of trans, and it was that once the lawsuits start, that'll be the beginning of the end of these, was it Chicago, a hospital in Chicago, Vanderbilt, bragging about how they do these procedures to children as young as 13. This will stop once money is in play. And lawyers start doing what lawyers do. Kevin DeYoung, making sure that we understand the playbook. So if you are somebody who is opposed to trans, well, you're going to cause their suicide. And that's what that young lady from California, at least testifying in California, said. Her parents were put in the horrible position of making a decision. They were. Here's your two options. The kid is going to kill herself or you can let us perform a double mastectomy. That was their option. No other possibility. No other hope like getting the individuals thinking in alignment with reality. But that is exactly the confrontation. That was the option that the parents were presented. What, 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 what would you do? Finally, the newfound enlightenment is acknowledged and celebrated when formerly evangelical leaders, organizations, and institutions reach this point, there's much talk about how good it feels to finally be on the side of love and inclusion. Their old way of thinking is quickly dismissed as an unfortunate byproduct of having grown up in a fundamentalist family or an evangelical purity culture, or worst of all, the Bible Belt. You know, that's, that sounds like, uh, what's the, uh, I kiss dating goodbye, Josh Harris. That's exactly how he talked. Oh, I'm liberated from the self-imposed yoke of fundamentalism and purity and 
saving yourself for marriage. Oh, I'm so glad those days. Now I know what it means to live. Now I get along with everybody except you people who adhere to the Bible. Those are the steps. That is the progression that we have seen over and over again. What does this have to do with you and me? Be careful. Don't jump the gun. But you might want to at least get out of the starting blocks if these things are starting to appear and manifest themselves in your church or your denomination. The slope slips. Very rarely does a church or institution recover from this. They start veering left. They start going downhill. They pick up momentum, and then they are tobogganing. I was trying to think of the thing that they do at the Olympics, the shushing thing, then the tubing with the... I don't want to get all sports-like with you. Is this going on in your church? This is Wretched Radio. 200. That's right. 200 Tomorrow Clubs are now up and running again in Ukraine. That means kids are hearing the gospel. They're getting saved. Their parents are getting saved. The church is getting strengthened. Not only are the Tomorrow Clubs busy preaching the gospel, they're also very busy helping people. This is our buddy Max in Ukraine. We have created the Ukraine Support Fund. Thanks to our partners, Tomorrow Clubs began immediate assistance to the network of the local church it became a safe place for thousands of refugees fleeing their devastated homes. Providing food, providing clothing, potable water, a safe place, communication. Would you please consider becoming a ministry partner of the amazing ministry called Tomorrow Clubs? You can learn how you could participate in the spreading of the gospel in Eastern Europe at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. Here's a fun fact. Did you know Todd also hosts a daily TV program? Yep, that's right. Wretched TV is a daily 30-minute program containing live witnessing encounters, conversations about tough theological issues, and like a jillion other things. And you can find Wretched TV pretty much everywhere. It's airing on over 135 Christian TV networks. You'll also find the show on streaming services like Roku, American Gospel TV, Answers in Genesis TV, Amazon Fire TV, and as always, the very trustworthy and reliable wretched.org. This, of course, is only possible because of our gospel partners. It's through their kindness and generosity and commitment to the gospel that we're able to reach millions of people all over the world every year. And so can I ask you to please pray about partnering with us in our efforts to preach the gospel, equip the saints, and strengthen the local church. You can find out more about becoming a Wretched Gospel Partner at wretched.org slash donate. How's inflation been treating you if costs for health insurance are skyrocketing in your home? Would you please visit MediShare.com slash wretched. Affordable biblical health sharing. Christians paying for other Christians' medical bills, which means you don't have to worry where the money is going for bad stuff. Second of all, you can save on average $500 per month. And finally, MediShare, it's the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years. It works, and the members, including myself and Mrs. Friel, love it, which is why their customer satisfaction rate is double traditional health insurance. If inflation has got you down, call up the people at MediShare, 844-34-BIBLE or MediShare.com slash wretched.
Names of God We learn a lot about God from the names given to Him in Scripture. One name is Jehovah Sitkenu, the Lord of our righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 tells us that God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. What is the most important thing about discussing the doctrine of timing? A little early, Jimmy. This is Wretched Radio. Take two. What is the most important thing about discussing the doctrine of simplicity? Timing. Let's move on, shall we? This is Wretched Radio. About two weeks ago, shared with you an article that was focusing on a theology that we don't spend a lot of time considering, but I think we would do well to ponder the doctrine of divine simplicity. Kevin DeYoung wrote that article, and then lo and behold, after I read the article, he actually creates a video on the doctrine of divine simplicity. So rather than me blah, blah, blah. We believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that there is a single and simple spiritual being whom we call God. That's the first line from the Belgic Confession, 1561, one of the earliest and longest lasting confessions to come out of the Reformation. Notice those three words about God. God is a single being, meaning there is only one God. He is a spiritual being, that is, he's not a material substance, he doesn't have a body. And God is a simple being. That's the tough one. What does that mean? That is what is worthy of our consideration to unpack simplicity. Because you and I hear that word and you go, oh, you mean he's like not very sophisticated? No. It means that he's singular. He's not made up of bits and pieces. God is not a cosmic puzzle that gets put together by his attributes. God is who he is. The doctrine of simplicity is a classic doctrine of the Christian faith, which most Christians today have never heard of. By simple, we do not mean that God is slow or dim-witted. We don't mean that God is easy to understand. Simple, as a divine attribute, is the opposite of compound. The simplicity of God means God is not made up of things. He doesn't have parts like a Lego tower. He isn't a kitchen recipe with lots of ingredients. Simplicity means we should not think of God as what you get when you combine goodness and mercy and justice and power and infinity and immutability and roll them all together into one divine being. That would make God the sum of his attributes, and each attribute would be a percentage of God. And then we might rank some attributes higher than others, and certain attributes would be more essential to God than others. If you're thinking, this has no practical application for my life, I think we just heard it. When we think that God is indeed like a Lego puzzle thing, what do you call a Lego creation anyway? Uh, uh, I wonder I if they still have the Lego factory at the Mall of America where the kids could go in there. This this was pre-COVID when we weren't terrified of actually breathing air. The kids would play in Legoland and put all kinds of stuff together. And we can do that with God. 
And the way that we manifest that is by emphasizing one of God's attributes more than the others. Now, how do we know what the balance is? Well, I think we find the Bible balance. When we work our way through the Bible, we will see that God is talked about in different times and different ways. And it reveals progressively more and more about his character and nature. So the Bible helps us to find our balance. But we want to be careful that we aren't always about one attribute because the one that tends to get abused more than any other is love. God is love. God doesn't do anything mean. He mellowed out between the Testaments. He was a little on the crabby side in the Old Testament, but now he's sweetened a wee bit. They love to talk about God's love, and we should love to talk about it too. But we want to be careful that it's not at the exclusion of other attributes. Here's another attribute that I see in conservative biblical circles that gets focused on a lot. Justice. Not of the social sort, but God's justice. That he's just. So how does the doctrine of simplicity help us to not be imbalanced? It's by remembering that he isn't made up of attributes. He just is. And you get to see little peaks and glimpses into those different attributes as you read the Bible. But if we just focus on one aspect, it will ultimately change our hermeneutic, where you will take, this is the attribute that I really dig, so I'm going to impose it on my theology. And we see that these days, don't we? The God is love movement. We see the focus on the Holy Spirit movement. That, that God is, he's intimate, he's our daddy, and so everything becomes all squishy and mushy. We need to remember that God isn't made up of those things, even though he has different, dangerous word, attributes. That's not what makes him God. And if we don't get this right, we'll start interpreting the Bible through the lens of our favorite attribute. So you'll see love everywhere, and you'll ignore anything that does talk about justice or righteousness or holiness or wrath or judgment. You'll just avoid it. Or you'll come up with some handy dustpin to sweep it into to say, that's just not the way it is anymore. Be careful. The doctrine of simplicity will help you from focusing too much on one attribute. Have you ever had someone say, God has justice? He has holiness, but God is love. The implication being love is the very nature of God, but those other qualities are somewhat incidental to his character. But that's not what God is like. The statement, God is love, 1 John 4, 8, is wonderful good news, but it does not carry more metaphysical weight than saying God is light, 1 John 1, 5. God is spirit, John 4, 24. God is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 29. Or, for that matter, more weight than any other biblical statement about God's character, whether that statement has the word is in it or not. Here's the point. God does not just have some attributes. God is whatever he has. Every attribute of God is identical with his essence. There is no attribute that attaches to him like a barnacle on a ship. He's not a jigsaw puzzle of divine properties. He's not a ball of duct tape with lots of attributes stuck to him. Gentle, meek, mild. Some people love to focus on those attributes of God. 
And that's going to lead you to very squishy biblical territory where God is fairly passive. He certainly is never angry or vengeful. Here's a question for you, however. What is God's face? What is his countenance? Remember, that was an Old Testament blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. That that was a, a way of saying that God would be looking at you in a loving way, in a favorable way, where he draws your line in pleasant places. So what is God's face? We might have a tendency to think, well, this day it's crabby, that day he's loving, or I just committed a sin, so he's really, really smoldering at me and maybe reconsidering my position in Christ. Nope, God, God doesn't express himself that way. When we see God manifesting one of his attributes, it's not because that one is, is suddenly his face. He, he's, he's simply exhibiting what he is rightly at the right time, which, by the way, is the doctrine of sanctification. The more we think like God, the more we act like God, the more we're going to feel like God. But if I had to say, what is God's face in general? I would say that God's face is good. That, he, that he's, he's good in every way, which means, like a good parent, he will administer discipline if necessary. But overall, his face is indeed one of goodness and kindness and love. If you're in Christ, God isn't torqued at you on some days and pleased with you based on your performance on other days. The doctrine of divine simplicity matters because it helps us think about God in the right way. We should not first conceive of a class of beings we call God and then relate certain attributes to this particular God. God is in a class by himself. He is not a type of divine being like a giraffe is a type of mammal. The theologian Herman Bovink once remarked that if God were composed of parts like a body or composed of genus and species or composed of potential realities and actual realities, then God's perfection, oneness, independence, and immutability could not be maintained. In other words, there is only one God. There is only one way to be God, and everything about this one God is absolutely essential to being God. That's why we ought to believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that God is simple. Does that help? It should. Thinking deeply upon God will indeed help you. God is not made up of ingredients. God is. And as we read the entire Old to New Testament, we will find ourselves in correct balance and alignment with the understanding of his character and nature, as opposed to focusing on an attribute over other attributes and becoming imbalanced. But never forget this. God's face and God's countenance toward you, dear Christian, it is benevolent. Until tomorrow, go serve your king.